Well, Christmas is upon us. And to begin this morning, I, I want to ask how many of you are in the Christmas spirit this morning? Raise your hand. Just be honest. How many of you are ready for Christmas? How many of you have been ready for Christmas since Thanksgiving or earlier? Anybody? Be honest. Okay. How many of you wait till Christmas Eve or Christmas Day to get into the Christmas spirit? Okay, we got a few Scrooges in here. All right. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you, to get into the Christmas spirit, enjoy watching the classic Christmas movies on TV and DVD? Movies like these. Christmas Story, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, and White Christmas. Y'all like these? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know already, as you are flipping through the channels this next week, that you are guaranteed to, to come across maybe one of these or maybe even a few of these on, on some TV channel some the, during the next couple of weeks before Christmas, right? But every now and again, there are certain stations that air certain movies that though they're tied to Christmas, many of the diehard Christmas fanatics don't consider these Christmas movies at all. For example, Die Hard. Yeah. How many of y'all consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? Anybody? Yeah, I'm guessing not many of you in here on Christmas Eve after watching, you know, reading the Christmas story, you settle down on the couch with hot chocolate and watch uh, Bruce Willis and Die Hard. Am I right? Yeah. Well, how about how about this one here? Gremlins takes place at Christmas, right? Nobody considers this a Christmas movie. No, my guess is if uh, my guess is if you're going to watch a a green guy during Christmas, it's probably going to be this guy right here. Am I right? Yeah, you're going to watch the you're going to watch the Grinch. That's right. Well. What about this movie here? Nightmare Before Christmas. How many of y'all, when you're uh, opening gifts on Christmas morning, have this playing in the background? No, no. Well, in a similar way, there are also consistent Christmas uh, traditions that, that you keep each and every year along with the movies you watch, right? And, and you do this year in and year out. And there's also similar stories and sermons from the Bible that people expect to hear each and every year around Christmas. Like, uh, for example, the, the shepherds and the angels from Luke chapter 2 or the birth account of Jesus in Matthew 1 or the, the visit from the, the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. Well, for the, for the next few weeks, we're going to do something a bit unique here. And uh, we are going to look at unlikely Christmas passage this week and next week, okay? If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me say this. People often view Christmas in, uh, in different ways, don't they? few weeks ago, I, I spent some time 
thinking about the different ways people think about and they perceive Christmas. For example, a little child sees Christmas as big gifts, bright lights, and beautiful Christmas trees. Teenagers and college students, they, they view Christmas as a, a mini summer. Am I right, college students? You're enjoying the time off. I, I bet or looking forward to it if you're not on, uh, on uh, your break yet. But, but they, they view it as a, a break from school and a time to fin- spend with friends at the movies or at the mall as a time to go, to go shopping and, and to catch up on sleep. And adults, we view Christmas as time to spend with family, don't we? And we also, if we're honest, we think of it as a time of, of overdrawn checkbooks and overcharged credit cards. And we also think about shopping malls, which may bring a smile to your face or it may make you cringe. I was cringing a little bit yesterday when I was out shopping with Ava Grace. So there are a lot of ways in which people view Christmas. Well, did you know that the writers of the New Testament, they also give us different perspectives on the Christmas story. Now, though they are different, each one of these perspectives are in fact true. They're just different, okay? For example, if you were to interview four different people after watching the same football game, you may get four different takes on the game. Does that make any one of those perspectives wrong? No, they're just different. For example, one may tell you that the the game, he may break it down quarter by quarter. Another may just give you the final score. You may have a fan from the winning team tell you about all the things his team did right, while a fan from the losing team tells you about all the things his team did wrong. Neither one of those perspectives of the four there are wrong. They're just different. And the same is true when it comes to the scriptures when it comes to the gospel accounts, when it comes to the different accounts of the Christmas story. For example, Paul in Romans chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, he looks at the birth of Christ as the time when the words of the Old Testament prophets are being fulfilled. So Jesus' birth here is viewed as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In Philippians 2, Paul sees Jesus' birth as a great example for us of humility. He tells us that that though Jesus is God, he did not cling to his status as God, but emptied himself by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. The writers of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 sees Christ's birth as a victory over Satan. And in chapter 10, the writer views his birth as a sacrificial offering for the sins of men. And then like I said earlier, in the two more well-known accounts of of, of, uh, Matthew and Luke, they give the events in more historical detail. But What I believe to be one of the most important and one of the most unique accounts in the Christmas story is found in John 1. It's one we don't look at often and one we don't focus on often this time of year, but we should. In John's account, there is no mention 
of Bethlehem. There's no mention of Mary and Joseph or the shepherds or the wise men or the angels. And there's no mention of a baby in the manger. But John 1 is the Christmas story. It's the story beyond Bethlehem, behind the scenes. John 1 is not the story of Christmas historically, but it's the story of Christmas theologically. Now, before you tune me out and, and say, well, I, I like the historical account better. Listen, you need this perspective on Christmas. If you are truly going to understand the real meaning of Christmas, you need to understand John 1. There are many people in our world today who who know the details of the the historical account recorded in Matthew and Luke. They know the story of Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and Jesus being born in a barn in Bethlehem. But if asked, could not give an adequate explanation of the importance of that event. And if they were asked, these same people could not give us a detailed description of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what we are to do in response. In our passage this morning in John, John is going to answer these questions for us in his Christmas story. The question of who Jesus is what he has done for us, and what we are to do in response. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you John's Christmas story by asking and answering these questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Well, John shows us in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He shows us this. Here's the answer. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Look at verses 1 and 2. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So John begins here by saying, In the beginning was the Word. Now, why does John refer to Jesus as being the Word? That's kind of odd, isn't it? Why does he do that? Because Word here is is another way of saying revelation. That's exactly what Jesus is. He is the revealer. He is the revelation. He has come to earth to make something known. He came from heaven to earth to instruct us on the deeper things of God. He came to shed light upon the purpose of God, the the person of God, the will of God, the mind of God, and the heart of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. And notice that John says that the Word, the Lord Jesus, was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus is eternal. Now, the beginning of John's book sounds very similar to the beginning of another book, doesn't it? What book is that? Genesis. Both begin with the phrase, in the beginning. So we see here already how different John's story is from the other writers, right? Matthew and Luke. 
because John begins at the very beginning. He goes beyond Bethlehem, beyond the time of Jesus' early birth, earthly birth, all the way back to the very beginning and shows us that Jesus has always been. He was, he was in existence. He was existing before there was time. In verse 1, it can literally be translated like this. When the beginning began, Jesus already was. In other words, Jesus has always existed and will always. He is eternal. Notice also that Jesus is not only eternal, he is the second person of the Trinity equal in person with God the Father. John says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a great verse here that tells us a, a lot right here. This verse tells us that Jesus is distinct from but equal to God the Father. The Word was with God. To be with someone is to be distinct from them, right? But then John goes on to say that the Word was God. So you have a distinct person of the Trinity who is God. That's what John's telling us. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that we nail this down right off the bat about Jesus? And why is it important to think this way about Him this time of year? Why is it important to understand that Jesus is God, He is eternal, He is the second person of the Trinity. Why? Because if He's not, none of the other points matter. If He is not, then nothing in this book really matters and nothing in life matters. Who cares about what Jesus has done if He's not God? In the Old Testament, they were always offering up sacrifices. You probably read through uh, Leviticus. If, you've, if you're a glutton for punishment, you've read through each little detail and studied through it and, and about all the different sacrifices that were offered, and they offered them up all the time. Why so many? Why did they do this? Because none of the animals, the blood of animals, could ultimately save anyone. They sacrificed them over and over again. Like it says in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away our sin. No animal, no creature can save us. There is only one who can save us, and that is God. And get this, because Jesus is fully God, He is able to fully and completely save us. All the, the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament did, they did nothing more but pointed toward in faith the, the perfect sacrifice to come, the Lord Jesus. So that's the first main point of John's Christmas story, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And it's very important that we affirm this, that we nail this down, because if He is not God, we don't have a Savior, and we don't have salvation. It's pretty important, isn't it? Second question John answers in his Christmas story is, what has Jesus done? And here's the answer. He is Creator and Redeemer. 
Jesus has created all that is and has provided a way for us to be right with God. First, he is our creator. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John tells us here, Jesus is the creator of all things. There has not been one thing created that has not been created by him. Which, by the way, that means Jesus is not a created being, like some say. Because if he's created all that is, and nothing has been created that he did not create, then he cannot be created. You get that? Yeah. Now, some of you are probably thinking, you know, I, I always thought the Father was creator. That's, that's the way I always kind of thought of it. In the beginning, I thought it was the Father, you know, that was, that was really doing his thing and creating. Well, here's how the Bible explains it. The Bible tells us that the God the Father was there at creation, directing and planning it. But the scriptures tell us it is the Son who is carrying it out. It is the Son who is actually doing the creating. I like to think of it in this way. The Father is like the architect. He's the planner, and he comes up with the master plan, and the Son is the builder. He builds and he creates. God the Son is creator. Now, there are a lot of verses that support this other than in John 1. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He created the world. The main point the author is making in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is supreme over everything, over the angels and over the priests and over the prophets. And he says in verse 1, in the past, the way God has communicated to us is through the prophets. But in recent days, he has not communicated to us through the prophets, but through the prophet, the Lord Jesus, through whom he created the world. So here you have in verse 1, God the Father is the planner, and through God, the Son is the one who does the creating. Also in Colossians 1, 15 and 16, Paul tells us, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Paul here is talking about Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He says all things were created by Christ and they were created through him and for him. So we believe that Jesus is creator. Everything has been created by him and for him. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky for some. Some, when they think about Christmas and when they think about Jesus, they kind of think of his beginnings as being on Christmas Day, you know? If you were to ask a lot of people, show me where Jesus is in the scriptures, they'd take you to Matthew. Well, here's where he comes on the scene right here. And they think of him in that, in that way. But what John and Paul and the other authors tell us here is that 
We're not just to think of Jesus as a baby on Christmas Day, but the one who preceded Christmas Day as the one who created everything. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that we affirm that Jesus creates? Why is it important that we view him as creator? Let me illustrate why. I heard a story once about a guy who was leading worship at a Young Life camp, and he was going to lead a song called Light the Fire. Any of y'all ever heard that praise song? Light the Fire, it's a good one. So this guy's playing it, and the drummer back there, he's just playing with him. He's like, no, 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 you're playing it all wrong. You need to speed it up a little bit, and instead of playing it in this chord, you need to play it in that chord. Well, little did this drummer know, but the person leading the song was the one who had written the song. Now imagine how embarrassing that would be to correct the person who wrote the song. I mean, put yourself in, those, in his shoes. I mean, if you're the one leading the song and you wrote it, you'd probably be thinking to yourself, who are you to tell me how the song's supposed to be played? I wrote it. I'm the one that gets to determine how it's played, how fast, how slow, and what chord it's played in. Well, get this. Christ is creator. And he came to earth to tell us how things were going to be. He came to tell us how we're supposed to live and who we're supposed to live for. And though we have our own agendas, and though we like to go at life on our own, Jesus created this world and he created us to live in it. So who are we to question him when it comes to how we are to live? Someone is the Lord of your life this morning. The question you need to ask yourself is this, who is it? Who is the Lord of your life? Is it you or is it Creator King Jesus? John wants his readers to remember at all times, but especially at Christmas, that when thinking about Jesus, he's so much more than a baby in a barn. He's so much more than a son of a carpenter. He is creator king who demands our allegiance and our praise and our obedience. Not only is he our creator, but he's also our redeemer. Look at verse 4 through 5. John tells us, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, you all know the story of creation. You probably hear me talk about it all the time. I'm always going back to that story. It's such an important story. But, but, but you know the story, how when Christ first created the world, things were good. Things were perfect. Man's relationship with God was perfect. But when we chose to go at life on our own, when man went off by himself apart from God, that perfect relationship was broken. And the consequence of that sin was death, both physically and spiritually. But the great news we find in God's word is this, that he didn't quit on us. He could have. He could have said, hey, look, I've given my chance to man, and, and that's it. He messed up. I'm washing my hands of man. I've had it with man. He could have done it, and he would have been just in doing it, but he didn't. Instead, he reached out to us again through his son. 
So by God's plan and through Christ's hand, the world was created. And also by God's plan and through Christ's hand, we are redeemed. John says, in Christ was life, both physically and spiritually, right? Once again, he is creator and redeemer. And he goes on to say in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Once again, though the world, because of sin, has been, has been darkened and dominated by sin, God sent his son, Jesus, the light of the world, to step down into this dark world and to push back the darkness and bring light and life. That's the Christmas story. Now, how did this happen? How does he do that? How does God provide light and life to a dark and dead world? First, John tells us here, he does it by sending out a witness of the light. Look at, look at verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, there had been about 400 years of silence. Imagine that. From the prophets until the time of John the Baptist. Over uh, almost, almost half a century, the world was, was dark and was without a prophetic voice. And then God, in his perfect timing, he brings John the Baptist into the world for the purpose of preparing the world for the Lord. To show the world once again that God has not washed his hands of his people, but wants to be known by them. And you know the story, right? That's exactly what John goes out and does, doesn't he? John goes out and he gets people's attention and he draws them back to God so that through his testimony, many might believe on the Lord Jesus. And, and, and believers, this is what we're to do as well. We're called to do the exact same thing. John here, he shows us another element of the Christmas story. Not only is the Christmas story a story of victory, Christmas is also to remind us that we are to be witnesses of the light. Just like John. As John, just like John, we have a job to do, don't we? In Acts 1-8, Jesus calls us to be his witnesses. And there's no better time to do that than around Christmas, is there? I mean, think about it. When the world this time of year are hearing and listening to and singing songs with lyrics that say, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What's this song about? Most of the people here in Jacksonville and around in our country, they know this song, don't they? And they know the lyrics to the song. What is the writer of O Holy Night writing about here? He's telling us that the Lord Jesus brings light and life to a dark and dead world. So John's Christmas story is a reminder to us that we are to be witnesses of the light. And the reason why is because we live in a world that does not know Christ. 
and we are surrounded by people who have rejected him. Verses 9 through 11. John says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The reason why Jesus came, and the reason why we're to bear witness of his coming to earth, the reason why we're to tell of the true light who stepped down into a dark and dead world is because the world, though created by Christ, does not know him and has even rejected him. You know, every year people get bent out of shape around Christmas because people have taken Christ out of Christmas and because they wish you happy holidays at the department stores and because, you know, you have some parents in the schools trying to do away with the singing of of Christmas hymns in school plays. Listen, instead of getting angry and going to picket Walmart, What this should do is this should serve as a reminder to you and to me that though the world has been created by Christ, it does not know Christ and has even rejected Him. That should remind you and me and be motivation for us to go out and be witnesses for Him in hopes that people, like John says in verse 12, will receive Him and become children of God. Second way, God provides light and life to a dark and dead world is by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Look at verse 14. John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a key verse in our Bible here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal Son of God, who we've been talking about this morning, the the one who has existed with the Father throughout all of eternity, who has created all that is, who is equal in person to God the Father, became a man. He took on flesh. He became one of us. The one who created this world chose to step down into the world he created and became one of his created beings. I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases it. He says in verse 14, the word took on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. Don't you like that? It's what Jesus did. He moved into the neighborhood. He came and dwelt among us. He came and tabernacled among us. The Creator God came to earth. And John chooses to emphasize this in his Christmas story. That when we think about the birth of our Lord and Savior, we're to remember that God left the riches of heaven, became a lowly servant, took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. We're to remember Emmanuel, God with us, that God was with us, that he walked with us, that he talked with us, that he ate with us, that God was with us. But not only that, 
not only are we to remember that this was done, but we also remember that we need to remember around Christmas that this is what had to be done for us to move from darkness to light, from death to life. Jesus came to earth to die so that we might live. You know, we've been talking about this in 1 Corinthians, that the cross of, of Christ is, is to be at the forefront of our minds as believers. We're to be cross-eyed Christians. How about that? That'll help you remember it. We are. Our minds are never to be far from the cross, especially around Christmas. When you think about Christmas, the cross should come to mind. When you think about God taking on flesh and becoming one of us, you're to remember that that human body that the Son took on, it was crushed, pierced, and crucified on your behalf. You're to remember that the, the human blood that was flowing through our Lord's veins was poured out for you and for me. Maybe you're here this morning. You're one of the many I, I mentioned this morning who does not know the Lord. Maybe you're, you're here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, the, I, I know the details of the story from, from Matthew and Luke. I know it historically, but, but I've never, this, this perspective that John brings is, is foreign to me. Maybe up to this point in your life, you have, you have rejected him. I invite you today, right now, at this time, to turn from a life that is opposed to the Lord Jesus and give your life to Him. I guarantee you, it's the one decision you will never regret making. Again, as John says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. If you have not, I pray that you would receive him today so that you can be given the right to become a child of God. Would you pray with me?